this is Rachel Lin, and you are listening to Upstage Left. In this episode, I speak with playwright Jacqueline Backus, who is the writer behind Men on Boats, India Pale Owl, and Folk Wandering. Her new play, Wives, will be opening the Playwrights Horizons 2019-2020 season, starting on August 23rd, so definitely look out for that. She is also a founding member of Fresh Ground Pepper, a theater company dedicated to developing new work. In this episode, we talk a lot about the American canon, and if you've seen Men on Boats or you know Jacqueline's work, you know, she is one of the writers who has already made an impact on the contemporary American canon as we know it. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please support us by following us on Instagram or leaving us a rating uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts or subscribing. Um, Here is Jacqueline Backus. How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm good. Sweet. Thanks for coming in. Hey, loving it. I'm loving it. So so I wanted to kind of start by saying the first time I officially met you, it was... (laughs) I like that you're already laughing. You're like, I don't know what she's going to say, but (laughs) the first time I officially met you, you were... You were very pregnant. Yeah. And you were allowing us, like, you were allowing this theater company to do a play in your apartment where you lived with your husband. (laughs) That was a loft in Bushwick. Yeah. And I just remember being like, wow, that's so amazing. She was like, I think you were like, maybe six, seven months pregnant. And you're like, yeah, a bunch of strangers can come in. Like, you, the show (laughs) took place in your apartment and audience members would come. Mm -hmm. And, you're like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that time. I mean, I was yeah, I was super pregnant, and I worked uh, just up the street, and I usually work nights, like, in this wine shop, which, so funny that in Bushwick, like, pregnant people are selling you wine, but, like, <laughs> but, yeah, so I, so in my mind, I was like, well, I'm usually gone, like, during the time, like, during show times, like, I won't be, you know, in anyone's way, and then, like, yeah, I got to, like, come see the show, and it was, like, super cool, so I just, yeah, it was, like, kind of a bucket list item for me was to have a site-specific, to be able to like provide a theatrical space like with you know like you know do a play in my house like hell yeah that's so cool so I yeah it was just it was a cool experience and yeah we like had that loft for a second and we were not going to live there like once the baby was born so in a lot of ways it was sort of like a big farewell party for this like cool space that we lived in Mm. so yeah like it didn't have a bathroom like the bathroom was in the hallway Mm -hmm. we didn't have a kitchen and it was like yeah there's like nowhere to like bathe a newborn child we like (laughs) we I think while we were in production while y'all were in production for that play we were like actively looking for our next place just Mm. because you know it was the end of an era yeah, but, but I want to say that yeah, you were also super, pr- and you didn't have a bathroom, like a private bathroom. Yeah. Like I feel like that takes a certain kind of like special strength <laughs> that you had. Yeah, you know, you I, I love plays, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that really speaks to like I don't know. Do you feel like it speaks to your philosophy of like art making and? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I am. I I think I I I love theater so much and it has sort of become like the medium through which I navigate my family life my friendships like all of my social like networks and also 
it's like a it's one of my favorite hobbies you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's my work it's my love it's everything so like it does feel like yeah doing a play in my house it's um yeah it just it felt like kind of second nature I want to say a few different things so I'm just gonna go and I feel (laughs) like I I, well I feel like it it speaks to it probably speaks to like the birth and creation of FGP I feel like Mm -hmm. FGP is so cool and like I know y'all just had your 10th birthday yeah we did happy 10th birthday (laughs) thank you (laughs) but I I was like oh I want to go to this party and like tickets were only 10 bucks and I feel like that speaks to some like it felt like a very welcome Mm -hmm. come one come all kind of thing which I feel like is part of your ethos yeah FGP yeah it's totally I mean there's FGP was kind of it was founded on this philosophy of like the fact that we all feel like we need some space to work on stuff with each other and we all um that there's there's kind of an ethos of like celebrating each other through all of the like all of the stages of an artistic process but also you know kind of like a personal like life life uh stage process like mm-hmm. when when people come to fresh ground pepper even in the early days it was like hey i want to i want to like feel like I'm part of a social, like I'm part of an artistic community, but also I just want to see and be around all of these like inspiring and fun and um, generous people. And so we, for, you know, in the genesis of FGP, I feel like it was kind of, it came from that same world of like, I just want to be there um, to be able to like, it, like, I, I just want to be part of art, but art also like as a social practice and, as a community building um, practice, not just like a sort of uh, career based practice. It feels like it sort of transcends that. And like, yeah, we, you know, the, the $10 ticket price for this, for our 10th birthday, which was a couple days ago, it was like, we were actually struggling with ticketing at all because we've usually done like a pay what you can thing. Mm. But we were like, you know, I think, you know, it's like a dollar for every year. I feel like if people want to pay that, great. If they also, if they can't, and this has kind of been a longstanding philosophy for us, if people were to email us and say like, hey, I actually can't pay that, like we would we would happily let them in the door if they wanted to be there, like whether they threw a couple bucks in or whether they wanted to help out with the event, you know, we'd trade that price for them. Yeah, we just want people to be able to um, kind of, yeah, be, the, be there to see art in process and like be with other people who kind of give off good vibes so fgp is like when i think of fgp is like very much process oriented Mm -hmm. right i mean totally that's your is your hashtag like your process is showing yeah 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 your process Mm -hmm. is showing is our hashtag (laughs) which i think andrew uh scoville made up Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah we yeah it's all about it's like all about process it's uh, I think we do yeah like 100% of our programming is about facilitating artistic process either like through long-term writers groups or like we do a free leadership lab creative leadership lab that we just started up that's all about like one day workshops where people can share resources or like take seminars on like um, practice building and then we do a retreat too where people are coming and you know a lot of the time that people come to the retreat it's it's to start like really new ideas for work mm. and we we teach uh all of these programs we under we go on we like facilitate this uh this model of feedback that's called delighted feedback which is all about helping to grow like a new project 
through from a lens of what is working, what is delightful to the audience or the responder and Mm. what they want to know more about as opposed to like, you know, veering towards more critical language, which can sometimes sort of stifle our artistic impulses. So, yeah, it's all about and what's really great is that like a lot of our um, audiences and the community at large has like undergone that you know they've they've gone through the pro- some program and they've partaken in like learning that feedback process and it kind of helps to free up a more generous side of like audience viewership as well so yeah it's it's always been really important for us to be very open about the idea and uh kind of celebratory about the idea that none of the projects that we present are done they're all actually like in like massively different stages of development some of them are like fresh off the presses unfinished some of them are like um you know this is the second draft and they're really trying to look for like new partnerships for production down the line you know but um it's never the it's, we're never at the point where we're like this is this project is finished this is like a splashy <laughs> industry investor reading it's like we're uh, or like a per, or per full production. It's never like that. Um, it's all about just trying to give space for process and showcase process as like a very valid um, par- and usually unseen part of like artistic life. I mean, now that you've celebrated your ten ber- tenth birthday and being a company that mostly focuses on process, how do you do? You guys struggle with like funding or like is that? like you know you talked about usually your events are free and stuff and that's how I experienced you guys also like very Mm -hmm. generous to your audiences in terms of like and community feels very community oriented Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah it feels like I mean as far as funding goes I think for a long time we we did have trouble with like large-scale funding and we you know we're we're, it's it like on the other side of it it's so much easier to give a pocket of money to a proposal that has an end goal in mind, you know, and has like a, like production, there's, there's a way to package and frame a production request for funding. Like I'm like, I'm talking really like grant grants wise, but like there's, there are, it's, it feels, it had always felt like easier to be like, oh, well they're doing a production. So obviously they're going to get the money first because they have to like pay their lighting designers and, and like buy props, you know, <laughs> like, like there's like tangible need. And for us, it was for a long time, I think it was really kind of hard for us to kind of properly frame a sort of uh, like ephemeral, very ephemeral idea, this idea of process. And we're getting better at it, I think, year by year. It is definitely, you know, as the kind of climate for arts funding gets more and more constrained and like more, you know, more money is cut from budgets, it definitely, you start to feel the pressure. I think, I mean, I think every arts organization feels that pressure, but when you are already kind of dealing with a little bit, something a little bit left of um, like a quantifiable um, quantifiable idea. It's like you are, yeah, you, you have to really work extra hard to kind of make your case. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's something that we're figuring out as we go. What's been really cool is that like the fact that we are 10 years old and we've started to see 
um, a lot of projects that have gone through our programming are starting to, you know, as we've all gotten older, a lot of these artists who are part of our community are starting to find their footing within other like sort of grander arts institutions. And so it feels like the people in those institutions are starting to look at the development track record of their projects and being like, oh, that came from Fresh Ground Pepper. Oh, that went through Fresh Ground Pepper. And so, and I've noticed that people are starting to validate us from outside the community within the company, you know? So that feels, it feels like there is starting, there are starting to be a little bit more tethering to, um, you know, the, the gateway and the pathway and Fresh Grump Pepper being part of like a pathway of an artist's work is like becoming more validated, I guess, which I feel like that is just a product of the fact that like artists who are committed and who are driven and who want to keep making work, make their work and start to find their niche. You know, mm. I wouldn't say it's like our, it's because we're so great. Like, <laughs> you, you know, that, that these artists are starting to find their footing. I think it's all because of the artists, but like, I think it's really interesting that like the way that we facilitate work, I think it's unparalleled as far as, um, you know, we, we are not looking when we're developing a work, we're not looking at them with the aim to produce one of them. It's not a competition, um, within our artists. We're not like, we're not like scoping people out to fund them later. You know, Mm -hmm. we're just trying to give them this space now. And so it's, um, yeah, I think that what we're doing is really exciting and, uh, yeah, if anyone's like, oh, I want to drop them like a hundred bucks, you know, <laughs> like find me on Twitter. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So that's our FGP plug uh, <laughs> for this episode. Um, yeah, but the other thing I thought about when we were speaking about like welcoming people into your home, besides FGP as like a community home for you, um, is um, India Pale Owl. Yeah. And at the end, how you, the samosas get passed around feels like very much like we're being welcomed into that family's home that we just saw on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can you speak about India Palau and like I know it won the Horn Foot Prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> how, was, how was the whole process of that show? Because it came after Men on Boats, which obviously was like a big. Actually, you know, Men on Boats is one of the plays that I've seen the most of any p- play. Whoa. Because I saw... I didn't know that. <laughs> I saw the very first reading yeah. at Club Song. Oh, that's the, right. Oh my like, gosh. Just reading. Then mm-hmm. I saw, like, the Summer Works production. Mm-hmm. Then I saw it at Playwrights Horizons. <laughs> and when I went to St. Louis to do a play at The Rep, like, students were doing it. Yeah. So I saw, like, four <laughs> different versions, four different levels of, like, Whoa. professionalism. It was, like, so... But, yeah, like, what... Can you, how was the experience of in that show? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Well, so India Paleo was like, uh, it was totally a whirlwind just because it, I was dealing with, I think Men on Boats for me, like in some ways the plays are, they're cut from similar cloths, but in some ways, like there's sort of a fantastical element to both of them. Um, uh, but Men on Boats, it was sort of like, that fantastical element was what I was exploring within for the most part. India Pale Ale to me was coming from a very, like a much more kind of personal grounded place for me. And, um, I felt like, you know, it was a lot about, um, they're, they're both kind of about, or they're dealing in different arenas around women harnessing their own power. And um, in India Pale Ale, it's it's like a young woman from my generation, you know, someone who is a second generation American who is always defined as other or, you know, we see the character defined as other um, within certain situations. And something that is really resilient about um, 
like, you know, the small communities, like small sick communities, like the ones that my mom grew up in, that my cousins are growing up in, um, is that they are incredibly, incredibly welcoming. It's like they, they, uh, it's, there's, there is no question that everyone who like walks through the doors of the Gurdwara is like, uh, given a plate of food. You know, there's, there's no, there's never, there's never any like, um, there's, there is just no judgment. It's like free flowing love, you know, and food. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, working on that play was like, so, um, it was incredibly, incredibly special to me because I got to work with this, with a few different like casts, like workshop casts and eventually our cast at Manhattan theater club that were like so loving and so ready to be a family and to like do justice to this story. And there was like, this like unreal amount of love for each other that like, I feel like it was like, it was present in the rehearsal room. It was present every time we hung out. We had these like amazing, like beautiful parties. You know, we had like a Diwali party, which was like so precious. And it was just like, it felt like these people were my family. And it was actually really hard when the play was over because I didn't want to stop hanging out with them. (laughs) And like, I feel like this happens with every play, but like, you know, you kind of have a little micro community, an ecosystem that you're living within, and then you have to kind of like navigate your life afterward. But with that play, I think because I was dealing with such kind of like personal stuff, I was really, um, I was like really bereft when it was over. (laughs) Um, and that just kind of, it, you know, it, it comes back to this idea of like what it means to make a play when you are, like what kind of how how can we make plays and like make rehearsal processes and playmaking processes that like are actually more uh representative of the world we want to see mm-hmm. and like how do we let our plays be more representative of the world we want to see and there's something um about that play where I was I think you know Will Davis who was the director was like super he was super integral in manifesting that energy and like the design team as well like everyone backstage like there there was just such a such a strong sense of like uh community and also of um like siblinghood and it made us it made me think a lot about how I want to keep working like that in the future MTST historically isn't the most like diverse programming and they have a very like you know particular demographic audience demographic like how did you feel in that I mean did you feel that at all or oh yeah I definitely did I mean I it was interesting because that energy was actually the energy of that kind of family and the you know that family community energy that we built in the room, it really felt, um, as soon as we got into like preview processes, it felt like that was being automatically interrogated by like the predominantly white audience. Mm. And in a lot of times I feel like we broke through and were able to create a bridge. And that's kind of what the end moment is about is like, um, creating a bridge against uh, several odds. Um, but the, but it's really, um, it was really interesting where, you know, a a play where I felt that I was giving audiences or, you know, like providing audiences with information that they could leave the theater and think about. And a lot of those audiences kind of told me uh, that they felt that they already knew the things that I was telling them, which I didn't necessarily, um, 
I mean, I didn't appreciate, I mean, I, I, I guess I appreciate any response. It's always worthwhile to like, you know, reflect on that kind of uh, rec- rec- receipt of a play, especially considering it's the first production and that there's, um, there's, you know, always like a work is never finished. It was, but it, it did feel like, you know, like, you know, the play deals ultimately, it sort of centers this family who's, uh, who is, Vic, uh, becomes a victim of a hate crime inside a Sikh Gudwara. And like, while we were doing the production, you know, there was, you know, and I had, we had had talkbacks where people were like, I did, I, I feel like you're preaching to me or something. And then, you know, people, yeah, it just felt like, you know, while we were in production, there were like several mass shootings, some of them at religious centers. And it feels like that, you know, maybe in a New York, to a New York audience, these things are, um, have been already ingested in a kind of intellectual way, mm-hmm. but that there's um, there's still more work to be done. I think for like for me, for everyone, in how to ingest these these things in a human way and in an, in an emotional way. And so, what the where the play I felt like the play what I was uh, attempting to do was to present an emotional arc of of community building and bridge making. Um, and I think for a New York audience that is dealing, it's very cerebral. It felt like they they were hearing words that they've read in like think pieces in the Atlantic. So they didn't quite, mm. you know, but I, but yeah, I mean like, so ultimately, I mean like a lot of people were really affected by the play. Um, and they told me so, um, and it just, it did make me feel like what, an audience, you know, what a legacy of a theater is doing is they are creating their audience over years and years and years. Mm. And so if an audience has been, um, has been, uh, has been cultivated for years and years and years to see plays that are presented, uh, written, um, and directed by people who look like them and think like them (laughs) and are them, then (laughs) I feel like it takes a lot of work to, um, to like break, from that kind of well-made play mold and to teach an audience how to eat a play that is looks a little different and actually operates on a, in a different kind of uh, emotional gradient. And um, so I think, I mean, MTC, as I've, as I've seen over the last few years, it looks like they're, and I feel like they're programming, they've made a real concerted effort to like, um, to like put cracks in their sort of, in their, patterns, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting to see. But, you know, what I think what it what that means is that there's going to be a lot of resistance and kind of almost aggressive, uh, yeah, aggressive resistance um, uh, to like receiving that information on on the audience's behalf. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was ultimately like it was really illuminating for me, that process. And the people who I was working with at MTC, like the the, um, the producers and the staff there, they were like super on board with, you know, trying to, with like, they, they were just, they were always there for us. So it never felt like it was, it, it the institution itself, I think has, a, you know, they have their, they have their mold that they're trying to reform, but I think the people on on the ground doing that work are doing a really good job, and they're they're working hard. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's not in 
very many play going experiences, you know, on any level that you get given food by the cast <laughs> and then like, and then expect to take a bite and pass it to your fellow audience member. <laughs> I think that's very like in any realm would be very, uh, yeah. You know, everyone's like, I don't want it. I'm scared. Like uh, it was like, everyone was like shifting in their seat. Like, what is this food? And it's like, Oh, I think it's like a, you know, I think it's an Indian food, you know, just like, you know, like it was like, yeah, they were all like, like, what do I do? I does not compute. Like I'm supposed to, you know, get my sippy cup of wine and like, you know, like go out and walk up the stairs that have carpet on them. Like, yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a different idea. So it makes sense that it's, it takes some time. And is it the first play that you've written that is almost, I would say like that's centered around your South Asian heritage? I feel like it's like, it is the first play where I'm, where I'm dealing with, where I'm, I mean, yes, yeah, centering characters who are South Asian. I feel like what was really exciting for me <laughs> in writing this play, because like, you know, I grew up, I, like I'm, I grew up in Arizona, like I am biracial, I kind of, you know, like I was always sort of felt like I was tethering between two um, like worlds or, you know, sides of my identity. And it was really fun to write this play um, from like a second generation South Asian person's perspective, you know, feeling American and being American and um, having that kind of live in conjunction with the notion of identity uh, as it is externalized and viewed from, you know, the outside perspective of that person. But like, yeah, it was the first time that I had explored that. Um, and it was a play that I had been trying to write for years and years. Um, and yeah, it took me a long time. And, you know, it, it was, I, I, I felt really, it felt really good when I, when I finally like finished that draft, I was like, Oh, like, good okay (laughs) it's just I was like breathing a sigh of relief because yeah it's it's tough when the play is so close to you it's Mm -hmm. easy when the play is like a bunch of people going down a river you've never gone down because it feels (laughs) a little bit more freeing to like write something that is um like so so out of this world so uh extraordinary and so kind of uh adventurous it's harder for me to write so close to the vest Interesting. Because all your early plays, I would say, or not all of them, but the ones I know, like You on the Morse Now, mm-hmm. um, um, Folk Wandering, like, are those, do you feel like when you start your process, or not your process, but your arc as an artist has kind of changed over the years where you're like looking at things from afar and now you're like venturing into <laughs> yeah. new territory? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think, I think that's exactly right. I think um, for a long time, I was I was trying to work on stuff that was very um like kind of that that I could see myself in that was adaptable like that or that was like usually adapted from a canon or like something from history or a story that I'd been told it was all it was all very much um like sort of external stories based which it, they felt a little bit more dreamy and these ones feel uh the the, the my newer work I mean my next my next play is going to be it's, it feels like it's kind of melding those two worlds mm-hmm. it kind of moves from a fantastical to a more personal place but I do feel myself um and maybe it's because I'm getting older <laughs> I, I feel myself reflecting a little bit more inward than outward mm. 
So when you first came to playwriting, like where did that impulse come from? Like, were you drawn to certain stories and wanting to tell them or like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I always had loved theater. I started writing, um, I was like writing little kid plays when I was a kid, when I was like seven or eight, you know? Um, and they were all about like zoo, like the mystery of the zookeeper, like the <laughs> missing zookeeper, like stuff like that, you know, where it's like kind of like boxcar children mysteries. <laughs> mm. Um, and then I started writing, um, I wrote this really weird meta play about like dead people, um, being alive in Tibet and like this guy from Merrill Lynch, like going on sabbatical and hanging out with like Tupac Shakur and like Jackson <laughs> Pollock who were like dead, but living in Tibet. It's very strange, but that one, I mean, I feel like, so I started to kind of like, I was interested in, I was always very good at writing dialogue. My mom is a novelist and I hated writing prose. So I was always like, well, I could, I love theater. Maybe I could just write plays. And so I always wanted to be an actor, but there was kind of a part of me that was like really into crafting dialogue and crafting dialogue in like totally psychotic situations, you know, like just out of this world, kind of very fantastical scenarios. Cause a lot of the plays I was reading and in that, like in high, uh, late high school and early, um, early college were like Neil Simon and like, you know, Tennessee Williams is just like very, you know, kind of house-based, like, one set-based plays. So I was like, well, let's, like, blow this up a little bit. Let's, like, do a play underwater. Let's do a play, you know. <laughs> let's do a play, um, yeah, like, let's do a play on the river. Like, let's um, get inside this whale. And so, like, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, it, it, it never felt like a clear path until I was actually a couple of years out of school. And I was like, oh, wow, I've, like, already written a few plays and, like, I have now a bunch of actor friends who are like looking to do some work and maybe we could all make something together. So what did it feel like while you were in school or just getting out of school, like before you felt like it was a path? What, what did it feel like then? I mean, at that point it just felt like, you know, I was writing, uh, it felt like something my friends would ask me to do, like Mm. who, you know, friends in, in theater school who were like, Oh, you're you're good with um with words and we you know like my friend Andrew Neisler who was a, when he was a senior in college he was like I really want to do Peter Pan but I don't like the adaptation of the book so you could write it cuz you're good you're good at like writing dialogue so we you could write it and we can get like 30 of our friends to be in it and I was like that sounds fun so I was like writing this play like f- like sort of explicitly for actors who I was also graduating with you know and um like being like, oh, she's funny at that. So I'm going to put that in the play. Um, so it, uh, it kind of felt like I was just at that point, I was just like making presents for my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it kind of continued in that vein for like a couple of years out of school. Like when I started doing stuff for TRE, I think the first play I really wrote for TRE um, or, well, you know, I had written a few plays for Theater Reconstruction Ensemble who is, that was run by my friend John Krasinowski. And they, that, that was the play place where we did You on the Moors now, but yeah, a lot of the early conversations around writing, around writing plays for them because we were a devising company was like, well, we couldn't get the rights to this play. We wanted to like totally fuck up like <laughs> in a like cool experimental way. So why don't you just write some scenes for us? And I was like, cool, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just sort of, it kind of felt like I was um, called upon by others to do it because I was good at writing lines. So then what made you feel finally like, oh, this is my path or I'm on a path or... I think, I think it kind of 
came with, there was a, a time when I, um, uh, I had written a few plays for TRE and we wrote this play called, um, I wrote this play called Set in the Living Room of a small town American play where I was basically tasked um, by John and TRE actors. Like our, our, our thesis was like, let's write our own play in the like American canonical, like family drama style. Um, and so, and I wrote this play with a bunch of kind of archetypal from like, you know, Miller plays and William Inge plays and like, you know, like the, like the, the, the new guy in town or like the old guy who left is coming back, like sort of, um, you know, like a matriarch, a patriarch, a sistriarch, <laughs> um, like all these, you know, I, I, I wrote a play with like, yeah, like probably 15 characters like that. And I had so much fun like navigating and creating my own plot in the end and kind of, you know, using those characters um, to define like an entirely new world. It felt like at that and the play at the end, I, it was like this thick, like real play with like an arc. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is like this is super fun. And then like from there, I was I started to write plays um, that were. Uh, like my own ideas and that I like didn't share with anyone for a couple months like mm. you know for a long time it was like bring, I'll bring these scene, scenes into like an, a predetermined rehearsal and we're gonna like find what they how they operate on our feet but yeah I started writing this play called Shoot the Freak that was set in Coney Island that was like all my own idea and then I started after that um, I got into the emergent the like early career writers group at Club Thumb which is where I that was around the time when I started to uh think about the idea around men on boats as like a potential play so it was like it was sometime in there when I was like oh wow like I don't always have to uh, I, I like there are some times when it's actually it's it behooves me to write for others and write because others want me to and then there's sometimes when I can kind of manifest and dream up an entire play world by myself and so it felt like it was like somewhere on that bridge that I was like, oh, this is like this. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to work for, you know. You know, now that you're where you are now, like, you know, you've had major productions. You have a production coming up in the fall, which I'm so excited to <laughs> know more about. Maybe I'll get to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but like, um, what do you what stories are you interested in like what excites you that you see or that you're like what are you drawn to in theater what do you think this is a lot of questions that I'm just like so answer any one of these mm -hmm. or none of these but um like you know where do you see your role our roles going as theater makers now I feel like I mean something that I have really loved in the past few years is seeing plays like kind of across the board like downtown uptown um like super uptown super downtown downtown <laughs> over in Bushwick where <laughs> but like plays that are really um doing crazy things with form and allowing like there's there's something I mean like I never went to grad school so like there is some I always feel like for me form is uh form and uh, the kind of framework around constructing a play, uh, I always can find a bit of a puzzle in it. And it takes me a long time to kind of navigate through that. But like, I've seen some just like totally amazing work in the last few years that like kind of explodes the idea of like form 
um, as a construct to write from, but usually, but rather it's like this play needed to take this form. And so I'm going to like continue to solidify this form, um, at the same time that I am like crafting the content of this play. Like I'm thinking, I mean, like it feels a little bit like the, the major hallmark of that is like what the constitution means to me Mm. where the form, um, is unlike anything I've seen, but like that play n- it necessitated that form. The content necess- necessitated that form and like it couldn't have come from, it, from anyone other than Heidi. And I also think of Christine Haruna Lee's Suicide Forest, which was another play where I felt like all of a sudden I was watching something. I mean, the whole play I was watching something um, formally that was innovative, but by the end... I realized how much um, that that play is like it could not have come from anyone else but Christine. Um, and it is dealing with that in like form, content, presentation. It just felt like such, so fully realized in a lot of ways. And that's like where I'm so excited because it feels to me, I mean, both of the plays that I just referenced are like super, like in some ways, autobiographical, like writer is character on stage. <laughs> so maybe it's like everyone, every writer should be in their own play. No, that's, maybe <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But, um, but I do think there's something about kind of the uniqueness and the individuality to those two plays um, and the individuality of the writer being presented so powerfully. It just felt like, it feels like what's so exciting about theater is like the immediacy with, with which we have to, um, uh, as an audience, we validate and um, commemorate the story as one that is like uniquely of this writer. And I think that there's so much um, possibility in thinking of theater as a way for culture and community to receive, validate, accept, and commemorate the stories of like our shared peoples, you know? Do you have any um, interest or draw to writing for film TV? Yeah, I do. I feel like, you know, I'm a little slow to the role. <laughs> I feel like a lot of, um, uh, I to be honest, like, <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid, but I am, like, super um, allergic to final draft, like, the for- like <laughs> the playwriting slash screenwriting software. <laughs> I just think it's the ugliest. <laughs> I, like, I hate that font. I hate, <laughs> like, the auto, you know, I hate, like, auto moving from character to dialogue to, like, action. Like, I just, <laughs> I really, um, it, like, gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like, I thought I have a bunch of ideas that I'm like starting to pitch and write for both TV and film but like the the act of sitting down to write them makes me want to like it's like getting my teeth pulled (laughs) so I really have to get over that like I need to I need to like maybe it's this whole thing with like disrupting form like maybe I just need to like make my own form for movies because like I just I can't do it. I can't look at words in courier font and, and think that they have anything new to say. <laughs> oh my god, that's like the nerdiest thing, but it's so real. <laughs> no, it's, I feel like sometimes I write, and that's part of my process is just like changing the font mm-hmm. of the like multiple many times and copying and pasting the whole Seriously? thing. Seriously, no, it's that's <laughs> honestly like I ha- I teach a playwriting class um, to um, second years at NYU, and I have this whole like revising worksheet. That that I hand out like midway through the semester. And one of the things I say, like, this is an act of revising is like changing your font and like the structure on the page, because it does make you think about, 
about the plane in a, in a new way. And sometimes I think Maria Stryer from Club Thumb told me this about the men on boat script, which I was like, oh my God, you're a genius. But like I had the I had the whole play written in like Sarah fonts, like Garamond or something. Uh And she told me that like the, that provided kind of a flowery nature Mm. to the play. And it was actually harder to access like the really high stakes, like rapid scenes because those needed to be like written in like economy. It's like, I need this. I'm giving you this. You're going to die. I'm going to save you. Like it was like this sort of like that, 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 like pacing and like rapidity and economy of language. And she was like, you should just change, like try it in a non serif font. So I changed it to like Helvetica or Ariel or something. And it actually worked. Like, it was like a major revising step. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, so now I think about that every time I write a play. I'm like, do I want the people to live in the kind of, do I, do people want, I want people to like, like actors, readers, anyone, do I want them to like live in a poeticism and a lyricism? Or do I want them to like see the stakes and go for the stakes and, um, and like, like there's, there's nothing flowery about it. And I like, that's like one of my major first you know, usually revising changes. Like after I've written a few scenes, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm being bullshit. I need to do non-serif or I was like, you know what? I think this play is a poem, so I'm going to do serif fonts, but yeah. Okay. That's that's, that's really fascinating because also like whenever I get auditions and they send me like Samuel French copies Mm -hmm. of like, you know, just from like the play scripts, I can't, I can't learn it for some reason. Like I don't know how to take in Uh that format of a play. I can only take it in when it's like, this is a PDF from like a typed script. Yeah. It's like weird. It's so much, it's totally the writer's intention, like how they have it on the page. And those acting, those acting editions are amazing for like wide access, Mm. you know, for people to be able to access the play. Um, who aren't necessarily connected to the writer, you know? Um, but yeah, I have also found that like, like, (laughs) oh my God. Yeah. So I I get published by dramatists and they're probably going to hate me for saying this, but like when they, when it comes time for them to like send me a proof of my play, like it's hard for me to read my own play because it's in that form. And I, I like, I just kind of lose sight of like what I'm looking for. That's also probably what you're describing is probably also like part of the reason I hated being an actor when I was one was that I hated memorizing lines. And it was probably because I like couldn't look at those pages like mm. they're super fo- it's just the format is um, it is it, it is it's perfect for what it does. But it's like. I know that there is something else the writer was doing. Yeah. But like my, my publishers are also cool. Like I do a lot of line breaks that are kind of like emotionally driven that are not that, you know, they, a lot of my actors ask me about like why my lines break up the way they do. And I tell them that they should flow, but that there's usually some kind of emotional, uh, like, uh, navigation that is part of that choice. But yeah, my publishers like totally, they're like, it looks like this. Like they, 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 they keep all of that, oh, you know, intact, but it's oh, like, it is like, yeah, it's, it's like a font thing. Yeah. I love, I love fonts. Me I'm too. obsessed with them. <laughs> well, I've never actually even thought about that this before. Like, yeah. And like in the, in the acting editions, they're so compressed. There's no yeah, space. That's There's right. no space for thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, that was kind of a tangent. <laughs> um, I love that you brought up that you teach. Yeah. Like, what is what would you say is like the the lesson that you want to impart to your like if you could only teach one lesson what do you hope your students walk away with I think that 
for the thing that I always try to teach my students and it, you know, varies with its success based on student, the student, particular student interests. But like my main takeaway is always like anyone can write a play and it can be a fun thing to do to write a play. It can be a fun, um, it can, it can, it doesn't have to look like the plays you've read. It can be from you and you can, um, if you're, if you're getting stuck, you can access what brings you joy and use that in your writing process. And, um, I, you know, this last semester was super, this last year, these students were super, super fun because they all were writing such different plays, like formally. It felt like they, like a lot of the things that I was teaching them, they were like, oh yeah, I got this, you know, (laughs) like they, like they're very aware of the expansiveness of form and the expansiveness of playmaking and that they could find, a lot of them could find their entry points into the plays they wanted to write. But, you know, some years it's totally a struggle. Some years people are really trying to write plays that they've already seen because they think that's what makes a good play. Mm. And um, it can be, you know, hard for them to, uh, it's just hard for them to access. You know, you think like, oh, well, this play is great. Someone already wrote it. Like, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, I should just quit now. But like, but, you know, I try to just do a bunch of stuff that makes playwriting fun and uh something that like when you're when you're having fun with it like all of a sudden you know three hours go by and you've written 15 pages and like you feel good Hmm. so yeah just like it can be fun and anyone can do it really anyone can (laughs) so last question what is your hope for yourself in like 20 30 years like <gasps> what's the legacy you want to leave behind oh wow you don't, this won't you know you don't have to commit to it you can change your mind in, See, in a year yeah, from now maybe, yeah, like... maybe i'll revise yeah. <laughs> i'll change the font on my dreams um <laughs> yeah oh gosh 20 30 years wow wow my son will be in college <laughs> no he'll be oh, he'll be out of college whoa that's crazy um i think that in 20, 30 years, I think my dream is to like have a body of work that represents um, new, like sort of intersectional femi- feminist worldviews across several platforms. Um, and I hope that my work is actually viewed in uh, ta- like tangentially with a bunch of other writers who are doing the same thing, and we're building kind of an arsenal of like a kind of a new form in that way mm-hmm. together. Um, I can already think of so, so many writers who um, are doing that themselves. And I feel like in 20 or 30 years, you know, perhaps people will look back on this time as like a time when that actually became like, a, a, like it, for the first time it kind of, you know, the floodgates opened and it just became like a new normal, um, you know, that they'll look back and be like, oh my God, can you believe there were like all white guy seasons in like 2015, you know, like (laughs) so stupid, like, um, that it's just like not even, um, something to rage about because it doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, I, I, I think where my world will lead in 20, 30 years is like, I will be living in like some, like a few different countries and always operating writers retreats out of my like 
old stone houses. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so look forward to that, everyone who isn't born yet or is already. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.